The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 126 What God Can Do with a Man of Character A group of unruly youths thought it would be funny to mock Elisha as he neared the city of Bethel on his way to the school of the prophets. They may have heard such snide remarks about Elisha from their parents. It is possible that many people in Bethel didn't like the direction the city was headed under the influence of Elisha and the school of the prophets. Regardless, God didn't take kindly to his prophet being mocked. Making fun of God's prophets is just like making fun of God. At first, Elisha considered ignoring the youths, but he knew that they were disrespecting not just him, but the office God had given him. Turning back to face the youths, Elisha could clearly see their rebellious attitude from the looks on their faces. Calling on God's name, he pronounced a curse on them. Immediately, two enormous she-bears lumbered out of the nearby woods with guttural bellows and teeth bared. The bears charged at the youths. Attitudes of haughtiness turned immediately to fear. The youths tried to flee, but they could not escape quickly enough. The bears mauled 42 of them before disappearing back into the trees. It was a lesson that would be remembered. From Bethel, Elisha next traveled north to Mount Carmel and Samaria. At this point, Jehoram became the new king of Israel. It wasn't long before a crisis erupted. Since the time of King Solomon, the Moabites, who lived east of the Dead Sea, paid tribute to Israel. Each year, they would send 100,000 lambs and 100,000 rams along with all the wool. Hoping that the new Israelite king would be weak, Misha, the king of Moab, decided to rebel. King Jehoram wasn't about to give up that steady flow of income from the Moabites. He sent out messengers to count and gather the fighting men of Israel. Jehoram was not as evil as his father Ahab or his mother Jezebel. He at least saw that worshipping Baal brought trouble to his parents and thus put away the giant idol Ahab had made. But since Jehoram did not obey God by completely removing the idols from the land, he was not being blessed by God and did not have the godly confidence to deal with the Moabites by himself. Instead, Jehoram sent messengers to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Moab has rebelled against me, he said. 
we need to join forces now to punish the Moabites before they gain enough strength to invade us. Will you join me? Jehoshaphat remembered his ill-advised excursion against the Syrians with Jehoram's father, Ahab, and his disastrous venture to build ships with Ahaziah. Yet he decided to make an alliance with Jehoram anyway. Perhaps he recognized that Jehoram had gotten rid of Baal and wanted to encourage him to rid Israel of all idol worship. Maybe he thought it would be a step to reunite the kingdoms. It is clear, though, that he reasoned his way to this decision rather than putting the question to God. Jehoshaphat suggested invading Moab by first traveling south around the Dead Sea and through the wilderness of Edom. That way, we can gather up forces from the king of Edom, who serves me too, he said. After joining forces with the king of Edom and then marching seven days in the hot sun, the Confederate troops arrived at a rocky valley that formed the boundary between Edom and Moab. Here they hoped to refresh themselves before beginning the invasion. But to their dismay, instead of finding a crystal clear brook of cool water, they found a dusty, dry bed of sand. God has brought us here to give us into the hand of the Moabites, lamented Jehoram. The men cannot march much further without water. We will die. By this point, Jehoshaphat was wishing he had asked counsel from one of God's prophets before undertaking this expedition. If only we had a true prophet of God with us, the king said. He could tell us what to do. Thankfully, one of Jehoram's servants overheard the conversation. Actually, there is someone nearby, O king, the man said. Elisha, the servant of Elijah. This is great news, Jehoshaphat said. It is known that God speaks through him. All is not lost. The three kings hurried down toward where Elisha was known to be. As the kings approached, Elisha looked up. What do you want with me? he asked, staring into Jehoram's eyes. We are out of water, Jehoram replied. We would like you to ask God where we can find some. Why don't you go ask one of your own pagan prophets? Elisha snapped back. The ones your mother and father employed. Surely they would be able to give you an answer to your liking. Jehoram knew that since he didn't obey God, Elisha would not be favorable to him. There is more than just me at stake here, Jehoram countered. The troops of Judah and Edom will die too, unless we find water. If it were not for King Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even talk to you, Elijah replied. As for Edom, they have their own gods. You should be thankful that Jehoshaphat has the type of character God respects. If you bring me a musician, I will ask God what his will is concerning this. During those times, 
armies travels with musicians, somewhat like the marching bands that armies have today. So it would not have been difficult to find someone who played the harp or other musical instrument. After a few moments, Elisha said he had the answer. God says that he will send you water, but so that you know it is a miracle from him. Not a drop of rain will fall from the sky. The prophet explained that they needed to dig storage ponds and ditches to divert the water that would soon appear in the dry riverbed. You had better start working now, because before long the water will be here. It won't last long, so you will need to be ready to capture it. Furthermore, Elisha said, This is but a small miracle compared to what God could do. But God also wants you to know that he will give you victory over the Moabites. You are asked to destroy all their cities, cut down their choice trees, plug up their water wells, and cover their best lands with stones. The Moabites have done wicked things for which they must be punished. Throughout the night, the thirsty soldiers struggled to dig channels and embankments to divert water from the river when it would appear. The idea was to make the water flow out of the regular river channel and onto the valley's floodplain where the water would be directed to the many ponds the soldiers were digging. By morning, the exhausted soldiers stumbled into their tents to sleep and to hope. Then, just as the few remaining soldiers at work were putting the final touches on this massive makeshift irrigation project, a low rumble was heard. It steadily grew louder and stronger. The weary soldiers leaped from their beds just in time to see an impressive wave of water surging down the riverbed. The water diversion channels worked. Water surged through the ditches and filled the many ponds and holes the soldiers had dug. Just moments before, it had been a bone-dry valley. Now it was a watered paradise. Just as quickly as the water had come, the flow stopped. Had the soldiers not obeyed the orders to dig the channels and reservoirs, they would have been in just as much trouble as before. The soldiers rejoiced. The rest of the day was spent watering the animals and resting for the upcoming battle. Little did they know, the Moabite army was already marching toward them. Early the next morning, as most of the Israelite, Jewish, and Edomite soldiers slept, the approaching Moabite army reached the surrounding valley hills. The soldiers of Moab couldn't believe their eyes. Everywhere they looked, it appeared that pools of red blood were covering the ground. It was actually just the early morning sun shining on the water that made it look red. The Israelites and Jews must have turned on each other, one of the Moabite generals gleefully reported. 
Maybe those untrustworthy Edomites finally got tired of their Jewish masters, said another. There is so much blood. It must have been an awful slaughter. Soon, greed outweighed their caution. Their loss is our gain, the Moabite king Misha said. Let's go see what booty we can find. It didn't take long for the ordered march of the Moabite troops to descend into chaos. Every soldier wanted to be the first to plunder the deserted enemy camp. The troops cast aside many of their weapons as they raced to see what loot they could find. Suddenly, trumpets were blaring. The Israelite sentries spotted the approaching Moabites. Israelite soldiers who had been sleeping in their tents due to the previous day's exertions leaped to their feet. The Moabite soldiers were utterly shocked to see streams of enemy infantry pouring out of their tents. Many Moabites who were already in the midst of the Israelite camp were quickly cut down. The rest of the outnumbered and disorganized Moabites began to flee. The king of Moab, horrified at the unexpected turn of events and the weakness of his own forces, ran away with them. The soldiers from the three confederate kings pursued the Moabites throughout their land, destroying their cities and fields and chasing the king of Moab back to his castle in Kerharasheth. Once inside his fortress, the Moabite king desperately sought a solution. The city could only hold out so long against the besieging forces. If I could only kill the king of Edom, he thought, then those wretched Edomites who used to be my allies might decide to go home. Ordering up 700 of his best swordsmen, King Misha charged out of his city gates. Don't stop until you have the head of Edom's king, he ordered. But the order was never carried out. The Israelite, Jewish, and Edomite soldiers were too much. After some fierce fighting, Misha was forced to flee back behind his walls. Only now, most of his best soldiers were wounded or dead. And he wondered if the people of the city were turning on him. In desperation, he decided to offer a sacrifice to his pagan god, Chemosh. Unfortunately, the people of that day believed this god would only reply to requests when the utmost sacrifice was offered. Their god supposedly required human sacrifices, preferably children. As the enemy prepared for another attack on the walls, Misha appeared on the ramparts with some of his top officials. The kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom told their soldiers to hold back, anticipating that the Moabite king wanted to offer terms of truce or make peace. They would hear him out. Strangely, Moab's king proceeded to build a huge fire on the city's walls. He brought out an image of an idol, bowed down to it, and started uttering strange words. Then, to the attacking king's horror, 
A young man in royal clothing was dragged out, kicking and screaming onto the city walls. It was Misha's son, the heir to the Moabite throne. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.